This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, welcome to the Late Kick is Live. It is Tuesday night, November 1st, the year of our Lord, 2022. Before they tear you down. They have to build you up. Remember that, children. We are jam-packed high atop a pulsating, a scintillating downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, Brian Harson's out. You and I have not spoken since then. I intentionally waited for tonight. If you want to know what I think, these shows are the shows you come to to hear that. I will also give you several thoughts on where I think Auburn may be headed. We've got playoff rankings out, and we'll not spend five seconds talking about it tonight. We will, however, release a brand-new JP poll. We are 96 hours and counting away from Tennessee versus Georgia. It turns out we're going to see the number one team in the country Saturday. And it ain't Georgia, at least not according to the playoff committee. Now, the JP poll may say something different tonight. We're going to talk about Bama LSU. We've got a lot of game breakdowns to get to both tonight and then on Thursday night. I've got some Q&A. We're going to add several best bets. I am telling you we're going for broke this week. We have got the most best bets on the Ramen Noodle Express that we will have in any week all year. One of them is already live tonight. Hope you've been following on social because we got Ohio plus three in play tonight. Maction has returned to us. They're watching us in Jacksboro, Tennessee, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, Provo, Utah, Punta Gorda, Florida. We are at 141,000 subs to this channel on YouTube and climbing. I'm adjusting the date again. I think we can get to 150K by the time conference championship Saturday rolls around. That's my challenge to you. And as soon as we get there, we, and I do mean we, not as a staff, we, you and I, decide on what we're going to do to reward ourselves. And let me just, let me just put a little bug in your ear. Here's what I would do if I were you. I would suggest a collaborative piece of content. You hear me talking this microphone solo all the time. Dare we bring someone else onto this show? Dare we partner with someone out there that has a name of their own? Dare we extend that invite? It's just an idea. You can also get me to do the show naked. This is the internet. There are no rules. And so it's up to you. Our balls are in your court. But first, you got to get us to 150,000 subs. Subscribe to that podcast too. Thank you guys because we're 
well, well, well on our way to getting there. We got so many directions to go tonight. It's like an octopus of a show, a tentacle everywhere you look. Let's get to the latest with Auburn, shall we? We haven't spoken. I, I was gonna, for, for a second or two, thought about doing a, a very ratchety handheld iJosh video and telling Colin to make a thumbnail and put it on the YouTube channel. Then I thought better of it. We got a show every 48 hours, so we'll just wait. Brian Harson is out at Auburn. That news is old by now. How about I suggest to you this? This is going to be a little change up from what I've said about the Auburn job in the past. So, or, so let, me, let me grease the wheels with this. I think the most underrated job in America just opened up, and it is Auburn University. Sounds kind of hypocritical based on what I've said about that job in the past. I have said, and still maintain for the time being, it's the toughest job in America when you combined expectation with the reality of their schedule. That's the only place, or at least one of very few any given year, where you got to play Georgia, you got to play Bama, you, got, you know what they play every year. So you've got that. That's a mess behind the scenes. Has been. Doesn't have to be, but has been. These things are true. But I will just, I will put this out there as we get into this a little bit tonight. Because I have some negative things to say about this program, but I am going to bookmark it. And I'm going to bookend it with some very positive things. I think this is going to end up being the most underrated job in this entire cycle. Everything's there. And I'm not leaving anything off the table. I don't think some of you realize how primed the Auburn job is to succeed. Everything's there. It's been a disaster as of late. It doesn't have to be that. So a lot of what has been at Auburn could be then. It doesn't have to be now in the future. There are many truths that we need to dissect, okay? And this is, I think, prevalent in a lot of other athletic departments. I think this is relevant for a lot of college football. It just happened to go down at Auburn. 2022 was a wasted year for this program. No two ways about it. What started to happen in February ended up happening in, what are we, we're October. So you ended up firing a guy that you tried to fire. Several months back, you wasted an entire season of your program. And for fans who are 40 or 50 or 60 years old, big deal. We'll just have other seasons. Well, you got players on the roster who only get to do four of them, most of the cases at least. And so that's a wasted season. And you fall further behind the pack, by the way, in doing something that dumb. Results will not change there until the recipe changes. That's another truth. That is inarguable. Even when you're doing it the right way, it's hard enough to win in this sport and especially in the division and in the conference they're in. If you're not doing it the right way, you got no prayer. If you're not hiring the right way, you've got no prayer. If you're not recruiting the right way, you got no prayer. I thought Pete Thamel wrote an interesting piece today. Now, they can't stand Pete Thamel around Auburn. And I know many of the reasons why. You think he's out to get you. Uh, he scoops most of your beat writers most of the time. I just take it for what it is on the surface. I thought Thamel had a really good piece today on Auburn. It's tough. It's a bitter pill to swallow. But I'm going to read you a couple of excerpts because I want to dovetail off of it and give you a couple of thoughts here. This is from Pete Thamel. This article is available on ESPN.com. I rarely do this, but I thought it was very well written. After a middling 6-7 and seven first season in 2021, Auburn launched a ham-handed and unsuccessful investigation into Harson. Pay attention to this language because I will give you my thoughts on this. It was baseless and the cringy execution basically doubled as a vote of no confidence for Harson's tenure. It turned both this season's 3-5 and five tire fire on the field and a recruiting class that's last among the SEC in 2023 into inevitables. I hear you screaming. I'm going to give you time to stop, okay? 
It could very well be that they were on their way to doing nothing special in recruiting, regardless of what happened off the field. I'll grant you that. I'll also grant you there is no guarantee they would have been any better on the field this year than they were anyway if nothing happened off the field. Those things we can't prove, but you absolutely can have your opinion there. The biggest discrepancy behind the scenes around the Auburn program right now, the biggest discrepancy with some of the local beat down there and the fan base, as opposed to the national perspective, is what the basis of that investigation over the winter into Brian Harson was the cause of. And the national perspective, the 50,000-foot perspective, was, well, they, they alleged impropriety and they set him up and they allowed a social media scandal that was based in nothingness to flourish so they could dive into whatever they could try and find to oust him. And then the closer you get to the situation, you find that, no, there's a prevalent belief around Auburn that that investigation and the attempted ouster of Brian Harson was not so much based in internet rumors as it was in speculation and allegations from players about mistreatment. This is where I start to have a little problem. I've seen some of the local folks down there go after some of the national types who have suggested Brian Harson kind of got mistreated. He got handled poorly here. I happen to believe he did get handled poorly. Now, two things could be true you absolutely could be holding in your hand allegations from anonymous players about mistreatment. I don't doubt for a second, based on the way Harson handles his business, that there are some players down there that felt mistreated, that there may be some players who were dealt some tough coaching and some tough love, and that may be the extent of it, by the way, and they felt as though they were victims of verbal abuse, etc. Now, here's what I don't know. I don't know the exact details. I, here's what I encourage you to do, though. If you have details, don't just throw them at folks when they suggest the guy was done wrong. Don't hide behind that anonymity because he's gone now. You got nothing to hide. So if you have details, if you have specific details and specific evidence that Brian Harson was guilty of verbal abuse, we're talking about that extends beyond bylaws that you're allowed to operate your program under, to be clear. If you have specific evidence that he was guilty of player abuse or mistreatment, I'd love to hear it and I would change my tune in a heartbeat. What I think happened is some guys who probably weren't gonna see the field were already a little disgruntled, and then they got ridden pretty hard, and they didn't like it, and it's 2022. That's what I think happened, and you really wanted him out to begin with, and so what you did is you took the equivalent of some unpaid parking tickets and used it to launch a raid on the guy's house. Like, really, you could tell me all you want to, oh, that investigation was based in in allegations from players. Yeah, I bet it was. Here's what I also bet. I never would have heard a word about it had he gone 11-1 and last year. And I never would have had a single player come to the forefront if he went 11-1 and using the exact same tactics he uses. I, I don't think we have to be ignorant in the room to acknowledge that. And we can also acknowledge that maybe Brian Harson wasn't a perfect coach. I'm not here to defend him. Uh, he's not on the program later or anything like that. That's the first thing that I want to get out of the way. Okay, so you can acknowledge, oh, there may have been some players disgruntled. That investigation absolutely was based in him not being the guy they wanted and them wanting to get him out of there by any means necessary, or at least try to. They failed, and then they succeeded a little while later because results on the field weren't good enough. I heard Reese Davis say it the other day. I saw some folks very, very blindly push back on it. I agree with Reese Davis. He said, if you want to get rid of him because he's a bad football coach, if you want to get rid of him because he recruited poorly, just go ahead and do it and state that as the reason. I probably wouldn't even be doing this segment if you stated that as the reason. 
But there are some other reasons being pushed that until further evidence is produced, I don't really go along with. The second quote I want to read you, also from the Thamel piece, it would be wise to see the actions of this new era before believing its words. As the school will welcome its third coach since December of 2020, the question looming will be whether Auburn can get out of its own way or will the cycle just repeat itself and the spiral continue. Now, part of the reason that the Auburn fan base rejects this stuff is they know some of it's true. They just get tired of national types beating on them. It's almost like, you know, hearing someone that you don't respect pointing out your flaws. You'll take it from your friend. You're not interested in what they have to say. A lot of them may not be interested in what I have to say tonight. That's fine. Uh, but it's in my best interest for Auburn University to succeed. So if anything, I'm kind of on the side of rooting for Auburn, for whatever that's worth. What Pete Thamel just said there is accurate. There's a lot of talk right now with John Cohen, the new AD coming in there, by way of Mississippi State. There's a lot of talk about a fresh start, a clean initiative. And the very encouraging language around his hiring has been, He's going to be given autonomy to run his own athletic department. That's wonderful. That's exactly what the doctor ordered. Those are also words. And so what a lot of people have said, and I will echo in this case because I agree with him, is it would be very wise to let that play out. And if you start to see Mr. Cohen independently running an athletic department over there, well, first off, it would be for one of the first times in my lifetime or your lifetime. And secondly, you would be on the precipice of unlocking what I think is the most underrated job in America. Because if he, John Cohen, hires his own football coach and he gets it right, this is a gold mine. The Auburn football job is a gold mine right now. They are massively upgrading their facilities as we speak. That's happening. So whoever gets that job is going to inherit that without having to pull a single lever or touch a single button. A schedule shift is coming in this conference. And I don't know when and I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. They're not going to have to tote disproportionately the toughest schedule in the conference or one of every single season. I think they're going to get some help there. The Saban run has got to be on the back end, doesn't it? It's got to end sometime. They've got an NIL war chest built up. They are ready to go. They're ready to play the NIL game, and I think they're ready to be a huge player in the transfer portal. As soon as that place is attractive enough for players who want to contend for championships to go to, they could be in a couple of years what Tennessee is right now. There's nothing standing in the way except Auburn. There's never been anything standing in the way except Auburn. So I'm sitting here wondering, like everyone else, are those words true? Will actions back up those words? If they do, you'll see Auburn explode. And I don't know if it's going to be Kiffin. I don't know if it's going to be Hugh Freeze. I don't know if they'll take a chance on Deion Sanders. My personal belief is they could win with any of a number of these guys if they are given full autonomy. And if the alignment, that's a word that's being used a lot around Auburn right now, Harson put it in his outgoing statement today, if the alignment is there, sky's the limit for Auburn. The fan base knows it. The, the beat writers know it. I know it. You know it. Everyone knows it. And it's why it's the dirty little secret that around the SEC people talk about behind the scenes. They, they don't want people talking about this publicly. A lot of the rival staffs, a lot of the rival fan bases, they don't want these national types calling out Auburn either. Because they want status quo to be maintained at Auburn. No one wants them in, in the contender seat. No one wants them at the head table. They want to pencil that in as a W on the schedule every year. That's what they want. And they've gotten it for a while, but it's not because of them as much as it's been because of Auburn. Times could be changing. We'll see.
I got big news for those of you in Houston. Big news. You already got a few academies down there, but I'm about to give you one more. And Chalai of Supremacy are up for grabs, so pay attention. This Friday, 11-4, November 4, we got a grand opening, a new Academy Sports and Outdoors in Houston. Here's the address, 8715 West Loop South. I assume you guys know where that is. I can tell you there will be a big, brand new Academy Sports and Outdoors waiting for you there. And if you prove to me that you visit during the grand opening this entire weekend, 10 of you are going to take home Chalai of Supremacy. You cannot win these things. Well, you can only win them. You can't buy them. Look, I'm sipping the, the questionable liquid. It could be orange. It could be red. Who knows? We're not giving anything away just yet. Mm. It is delicious, though. It's not true blood, for those wondering. So if you can prove, those of you in the Houston area, I don't care if you live in Minneapolis and you just want to fly to Houston this weekend, if the chalice of supremacy means that much to you, and it should, paper pop, then go for it. Academy Sports and Outdoors, our exclusive partner, your one-stop shop for everything you could possibly need in life, and then some. And if you can't get there in person, I was just talking to one of our viewers in Columbus, Ohio, academy.com, going to have them hooked up. Thank you so much to them, and thank you so much to you for patronizing them and making them want to come back again and again and again. What a weekend we have ahead of us. Thank you guys for being tuned in live. If you are, make sure you like this video and subscribe to this channel. Deep breaths, I think, are necessary here. There's another one. Okay. Tennessee at Georgia. Saturday, 3.30 Eastern kickoff. A little after 3.30, actually. On CBS, we will be there. The Every Given Saturday Tour is headed back to Athens. We're going to be there Friday. There will be no live show. We're going to do the Thursday show here, and then I'll head down there, I don't know, sometime Friday. Excited is how I would describe myself every week. This is like five or six levels up. I've told you we don't get to go to Georgia nearly as much as I'd like because their schedule doesn't dictate it, but it does dictate it this week. Do you realize how big this game is? It's number one versus number two in the AP. It's number one versus number three in the college football playoff rankings. What it is in the JP poll is TBD. I'll reveal that later tonight. This could be the biggest game in the SEC East this millennium. This is the biggest game in the SEC East in many of your lifetimes. It's a 3.30 kick. Sanford Stadium will be on fire. It'll be an environment unlike some of these guys have ever seen. Tennessee saw one in their home building. They're going on the road. They're going into one now. It is what regular season college football is all about. I'm not going to jump on this soapbox again. Enjoy these kind of matchups and enjoy this urgency. Enjoy this zero safety net under the game kind of mentality while you have it because it won't exist much longer. I'm going to put a question out there to you as we dive into the preview, and I'm not going to answer it. If Georgia loses this game, are they out of the playoff? That's why I heard a lot of people talking about that today. I don't have a solid answer for you, but there's some speculation that their strength of schedule may not be good enough to where if they lose this game, they're not in Atlanta. You've got a one-loss Georgia that won the title last year, but their strength of schedule is just not good enough to vault them into the playoff. Who knows? Hey, the best shot they have, clearly, is to win. Tennessee's getting eight and a half here. You see that line? There's a lot of confusion about this. A lot of people thought, some people thought Tennessee was going to be favored. Mm, no. But many of you thought Tennessee was going to be about a four or a five point dog. But odds makers are handing you over a touchdown. What do we think about that? Well, here's the argument I'd make. 
I think the line is a little big. I'll show you what we think in a little while. Don't change anything about Tennessee except one detail. Put Alabama jerseys on them. March them into Sanford Stadium. What's the line on this game? It ain't eight and a half. It's below a touchdown. So a lot of what's going on here is Tennessee just doesn't have the proven pedigree that a team like Alabama would have. You could have the exact same production, exact same roster. Everything could be the same. But take the pedigree of a, an Alabama, for example, and march them in there. So, yeah, that's in play. It should be in play. That's all part of this. But you want to make sense of this line? You want to make sense of Tennessee getting over eight and a half going into Georgia? Recruiting, pedigree, and freeze points. That's all this line's about. Let's talk about it. Key number one, can that Tennessee passing game meet the freeze point? I've done a lot of radio in Knoxville the last two years, really. But the last couple of weeks, we've been talking a lot about this. The concept is we saw this game looming of whether Tennessee's passing game was so good, their offense and their passing game, was so good it can just operate on anyone. Because we've seen that happen before. There are a lot, of, a lot of comparisons about 2019 LSU floating around, so much so that I think I'm going to shy away from it. It just makes you sound like a seal at this point. Ooh, 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 just kind of repeating everyone. But the 2020 Bama team, the 2019 LSU team, some of these really, really prolific offensive teams, what we saw is they were so good, it didn't matter what kind of defense you put in front of them. Because there was a certain level, the freeze point, if you will, where if you got past it, it doesn't matter. And we use the freeze point all the time on the show. Kind of think about it inverted, but you, you got 34 degrees, nothing's freezing. You got 38 degrees, nothing's freezing. You get to 32.4, all of a sudden that water will freeze. The reality is most teams aren't good enough to do that. But then the further past that freeze point you get, you just get a harder and harder freeze, but you got to get to 32.4. Most teams offensively can't get to that point. That's why most of them just grind to a halt when they play Georgia, and you see their production just fall off a cliff. It doesn't kind of taper off. It falls off a cliff. Tennessee could be different. And if Tennessee meets that freeze point, then all of a sudden it's the Georgia defensive statistics that you see start to look weird and start to spike in the wrong direction. Does Tennessee have that? You got Jalen Hyatt there, guys in the middle of what could be a Bolitnikoff award-winning campaign. You've also got Cedric Tillman back. But the key to me here is um, that run game. Tennessee, Tennessee runs the ball more than Georgia does. I was listening to our buddies, college football nerds, talk about this game. And they were pointing out, basically they were simultaneously saying it as I was looking at it on a stat sheet. They're right. If you thought about the offensive profiles of these teams, you would think Tennessee airs it out, Georgia ground and pound. Tennessee runs the ball more than Georgia does. Georgia throws the ball more than Tennessee does. If I did the blind resume, every one of you would lose $10 betting on that. You just wouldn't suspect that, but that's the case. If you're high on Tennessee, if you're picking them to win this game, no doubt you are thinking about the Bama game. And not the back of your mind, if you're picking Tennessee, if you're picking Tennessee to win this game, you're thinking about the Bama game in the forefront of your mind. What did Tennessee do that day? Well, they threw the ball all afternoon to Jalen Hyatt. Anytime they wanted it, he was there. Boom, touchdown, 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 touchdown. What was it, five of them, I think? Yeah. They did that because they could run the ball. Bama couldn't afford to do what Bama's been able to do in the past and play that too high shell safety look because they had to march another guy down there because they couldn't stop the Tennessee run effectively enough. And that's the question for Georgia. It's probably one of the huge deciding factors in this game is are they good enough up front to stop Tennessee's run with four, for example? If they can, uh, Georgia's going to win the game. 
it's pretty simple, unless they turn the ball over four or five times. So for all the talk about Tillman, all the talk about these wide receivers, the thing to watch early on, it won't take long for you to realize it. The thing to watch early on is how is Tennessee running? How are they having success? What is the yards per carry? Are they getting stoned? Is it second and nine constantly? Or are they really putting themselves in position with those second and manageable, third and short, to where they can get that first down and then start tempoing you to death? Plus, the other thing to think about is how that game starts to play out early on decides how much conditioning is going to matter in the second half for Georgia. Kirby Smart talked about this earlier this week. They've spoken about it internally the entire summer because they knew this particular game is going to offer a different challenge than pretty much any other one on their schedule because this is a team that runs tempo and runs more plays per minute than any other team on their schedule. Well, if you force a bunch of three and outs in the first half, you're good to go in the second half. If they've already run 45 plays on you in the first half, Georgia defensively, the, the most plays they've been on the field all year, 71, and that was last week. And a lot of that was garbage time. So you could get them into some unfamiliar territory, and all of a sudden, it's crazy what happens to your discipline. It's crazy what happens to your gap soundness. It's crazy what happens to your angles when you're sucking wind a little bit more than you have all year. Now, Kirby Smart knows that. Josh Heupel knows that. That's why that first half's really imperative. You, you may not crack them in the first half just with whatever you put on the scoreboard, but you could plant the seeds to doing it in the second half because of what you do in the first half. Key number two, Georgia needs the game of the year from their offensive line. There have been mixed results from that crew. They played horrifically at Missouri. Uh, lately, they've played some of their best ball. They need a, an incredible day from their offensive line. These are the games that Todd Munkin was brought to Athens, Georgia for. He's been there a few years, the offensive coordinator, but this is really the one. This is the kind of game where you need him. You, you got a bunch of three and outs early. You are flirting with disaster playing a team like Tennessee. But what Georgia can do, really even more so than Bama probably this year, is Georgia can maintain drives on you. B Bama can home run you like Bryce Young any given moment. He can pop you. But Bama doesn't sustain consistent drives like Georgia's been able to this year. And again, what are we talking about? We're talking about what this game looks like in the third and fourth quarter. One of the other surest ways to make sure your defense is good to go in the fourth quarter is being able to first and 10, second and five, third and one, move the chains. You don't have to sit there and snap the ball like Tennessee is going to do every five seconds. You can use those tight ends. You can screen them to death. And you can just... What's the word? Matriculate. You can matriculate it down the field. I think it's the first time we have ever used that word on this program. Huge Chiefs fan. I'm just saying it's the first time I've ever used it. If they start to do that, that's the Munkin effect. You're not, you're not beating Tennessee by bombing away on them. You don't get sucked into that. That's not Georgia's modus operandi anyway. Now, here's what I am curious about. There's a lot of question out there about how to gauge Tennessee defensively. What, what are they defensively? There's some of that that remains to be seen, but I will tell you pretty confidently what I think they are, and that is a good run defense. They are good at defending the run, and if you haven't watched them a lot, and you're a Georgia fan, and you think that you're just going to lean on them, and just physically you'll outclass them, and you'll just kind of bully ball your way down the field. You're here for a long afternoon. That's not what's going to happen. You can beat them. You can absolutely beat them. It's not going to be because you're running it for six or seven yards per carry. It's not going to be all of a sudden 
Well, let me take this back because it ends up in a hype video otherwise. I have a hard time seeing it turn out that way. And we've got enough of a profile on Tennessee now to know if you're going to beat them, you better have enough offensive balance. It doesn't have to look pretty on the stat sheet, but they better be convinced you can throw the ball on them and you're willing to. Which brings us to the next point. And this is really where if you're absent A.D. Mitchell, which they will be, this is really where it could show up for Georgia. Great tight end room. Darnell Washington probably going to be a little more active this week, I would imagine, than we've seen in Brock Bowers as a superstar. They've got to have those guys. You've got to find your own mismatch. Hyatt did it against Bama. You need those tight ends doing it against Tennessee. Here's a third key, and this is one that's all-encompassing. You never know how staffs and how teams are going to handle these spots until they get in them. Sometimes you see a team that looks like they were shot out of a cannon in these moments, and sometimes you see teams, especially if it's new to them, you see them kind of try and feel their way into it, kind of try and find their footing, so to speak. Tennessee needs to be so ultra-aggressive coming out of the gate here. I'm talking about coaching staff. I'm talking about the way they call plays, how they make decisions on third and fourth downs, special teams. They need to be ultra-aggressive. Because if you want to see Georgia pucker, even at home, put a 14 to nothing lead on them. Watch what happens. That's not an offense built to come from behind like that. That's absolutely not. Few offenses are, I'll grant you that. But Tennessee has that ability. They've done it. We've seen them do it a couple of times already in big games this year. But you got tempo, you got new looks, taking chances on defense, which they can afford to do because they know they can score. It's, it's kind of become one of their trademarks is a little more aggressive play. Kind of like LSU did in 2019 on defense, because they know we're not Texas A&M. We're not Iowa State. We don't have to hold the opposition to 17 or less to give ourselves a shot to win. Uh, my biggest questions here and what made me struggle so much today, I just decided my pick like 30 minutes ago. What made me struggle so much today is I wonder, will Georgia make the Bama adjustment? But Bama got shredded. Because Josh Heupel isolated a mismatch, and he exploited it. I mean, really, that game, that Tennessee-Bama game comes down to a mismatch and home field. That's what it came down to. And Tennessee took full advantage of it, and they leveraged it. Well, they don't have home field in this one. And the second unknowable part is, is there a mismatch out there? I keep, I keep thinking back every time I go about it on this game. I keep thinking back to the spring and the summer when our focus was on that corner rotation at Georgia. And surely, surely, you think to yourself, they've got those questions answered by now. Well, yeah, they answered the questions in fall camp, pretty convincingly, to their coaching staff's liking. What you don't know is overall, what caliber of player do you have in that secondary? You don't really know overall how the caliber of player you have matches up to this kind of pressure put on it, because the pressure hadn't been put on it yet. The great unknowable is, you saw all those guys go off to the draft, right? And then the next thing you saw was Georgia obliterate Oregon, and you forgot all about it. That Oregon team in week one wasn't the one that was going to provide the stiffest challenge. This Tennessee team is. And so we've got the huge dam with that block G on it, and it is, it's just Georgia, right? It's just a Georgia defense again. It may very well be. That's why I'm calling it a question. But you finally get the water pressure against it. And much as was the case with Bama, who in the world was talking about DeMarco Hellams going into that game? Bama fans, how many of you were talking about the Hyatt versus DeMarco Hellams mismatch? Absolutely none of you, myself included. We didn't talk about it on this game. That's what a great offense can do. That's what a great play caller can do. And they got one at Tennessee. So 
when we get to halftime Saturday. Has it played out largely like you would expect on paper? Or is there one or two little columns in that stat sheet they hand you at halftime? Paper's still hot, rub it against your face, feels great. Where you say, wow, didn't expect that. And if that's the case, where are they? Because Georgia could do it to Tennessee too. I'm just saying it feels like we know a lot less about Tennessee because Georgia's a more proven commodity. Here we go. Let's take a look at what the model thinks as opposed to what the Vegas line is. And you know, we're recording this live on Tuesday night and Georgia's favored by eight and a half. I don't know what it'll be come Friday. I expect there's got to be some Tennessee money out there somewhere. The model is only two points off, but it's under a very important number. The Caesars line is Georgia minus eight and a half. Our line is Georgia minus six and a half. When I went back to that Bama game and I told you I thought it was about a mismatch and home field, what I kept coming back to on this game is how much I thought home field mattered to Tennessee when they beat Alabama. Now, here's what I'm not telling you. I don't think the environment and the atmosphere at, and in Sanford Stadium this Saturday, as great as it's going to be, I don't think it's going to do a number on Tennessee only because I think the kind of offense they run sort of limits a crowd's ability to impact them as much as you would a more traditional offense. So it's not that. It's the inability to harness that home crowd that I worry about a little bit too much to pick them outright. But those are way too many points for me. So I'm taking Tennessee plus eight and a half. I do, however, trust the model, and I'll go Georgia to win. And that means I think it's a one-possession, four-quarter, maybe an instant classic kind of game. At which point, if I'm right, we walk away saying, how far is Tennessee really about to drop? And then you, regardless, obviously a top three team is going to lose here when we're talking about the playoff rankings. So you're going to have conversation in the what-if game either way. But currently the odds to win the national championship, we got number two, Georgia, at plus 300 or plus 200. And we got number four, Tennessee, at plus 1,000. Again, if you think Tennessee is going to win Saturday, you might as well place a dollar or two there on Tennessee at plus 1,000 to win it all because they would put themselves in the driver's seat. So I'll take Georgia to win. We'll take Tennessee to cover. Um, probably, probably the kind of game where no outcome surprises me. Wild variance on this one. This is, this is not one of those games where you look at it and you say, mm, you know, it's, it's like when the, the Titans and the Steelers used to play in the NFL playoffs and you felt so confident that's a three or six point game either way. That's not this. Uh, this thing could be a 21-point win either way. You have no clue how much variance there is on this kind of game because of the amount of volatility that the kinds of offensive pieces we have in this game can throw into the blender. So I'm looking forward to it. We'll be there. We'll be on the field. I'm ecstatic. I'm excited. We hadn't been to a game in Athens in quite a while. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. They're watching us in Valdosta, Georgia. Man. They're watching us in Fredericksburg, Virginia, Indianapolis, Indiana, and Clanton, Alabama. Thank you so much wherever you guys are. Remember to like the video while you're here, please. I'm told, and that is strictly through the grapevine, that they released the playoff rankings earlier tonight. I could not be bothered to watch them because I was busy putting together the actual ratings, the power ratings, if you will. Colin, here's your endpoint. Playoff rankings came out. Don't really care about those. It's largely a TV product at this point. We will sort this out on the field in the regular season the way that it's supposed to be sorted out. But in the meantime, I do have a brand new JP poll for you. I am going to explain something to you about a certain team that is still in the top 15 that illustrates everything this power rating is about. I got an itch in my nose. Okay, let's go. Because we've got movement in the top three. We got a new number one. We got a new number two. So let's go. Let's dive in. 25 through 21. Kentucky 25. They plummeted. The horrific showing against Tennessee Saturday night. Barely in the top 25. Oklahoma is an interesting case study here. Okay, the model is picking up on Oklahoma. Remember, all this is is favorability on a neutral field today and moving forward. So Oklahoma could be winless. If the model thinks there's something starting to click with the team a little bit, it only cares about this point moving forward. So basically, you're, you're zero and zero every week as far as the model's concerned. It's, it's pinging Oklahoma a little bit. We'll see what happens there. Illinois 23, again, favorability, not where you should be ranked, favorability on a neutral field. Florida State, model loves Florida State still. At 22, they play Miami. They're favored by seven and a half this week. And Texas Tech's at 21. Top 20, Mississippi State still there. Oklahoma State fell. Frankly, the model had no clue what to do with Oklahoma State. They are, I mean, they're, they're probably going to be in a dogfight again this week. UCLA's floating around 18. They've kind of been there. Oregon State around the same spot, 17. Arkansas, model still likes them. They play Liberty. Favored by 13 and a half at home against Liberty this week. Arkansas is 16. Here we go. Top 15 time. Ole Miss is number 15. Lane Kiffin leading the Ole Miss Rebels there. Okay, Texas is who I want to talk to you about. Now, I disagree. But then again, I can't disagree. Now remember what this thing's about. For everyone calling Texas overrated, the sole purpose of this is to talk about which teams would be favored against which teams on a neutral field. Texas, the last time you saw them, they were losing, right? They lost to Oklahoma State. Irrelevant. They were favored in the game. That's all we care about. From there, whatever the result is, is whatever the result is. Texas plays, you know who, this weekend? Texas plays Kansas State at Kansas State, and they're favored. So if anything, I got Texas too low here, or either I got Kansas State too high. It's nothing more than that, okay? There's, there's nothing more. You cannot argue with me about this. I've got the proof. Texas is still favored every week. So the odds makers are really the only thing we're trying to gauge here. So Texas, I've got it 14. Odds makers are saying, you probably should bump them up there. Yeah, and by the way, if you were unaware, you heard me right. That Kansas State team that just won by half a hundred, they're a dog at home against Texas. It's your money. Do whatever you will with it. LSU's at 13, Ascension Mode team. They play Bama this week. Penn State's at 12. They actually ticked up a couple of spots. 
with a closer, slightly closer than expected loss against Ohio State. And Utah is unchanged at 11. All right, he gets fun here. Top 10 time. TCU's at 10. And a lot of this is not teams falling. It's other teams rising. So you had to adjust accordingly. Kansas State's in the top 10 for the first time. They're at number nine. USC's at eight. Oregon is now the top power-rated team in the Pac-12. Yes, you heard me right. We would favor Oregon against any team on a neutral field tomorrow in the Pac-12. That's news. It's the first time we've had them that high. Clemson is at six. Here's the top five. We got a bunch of movement up here, and I'll tell you what the gaps are. Michigan's at five. Tennessee's at four. They swapped places there. Favorability neutral field. Uh, Ohio State fell to number three. Bama's at two, and Georgia's at one. Remember, Ohio State was one last week. Now, in reality, nothing much changed, but here's the difference. We got Georgia minus one against Bama if they played on a neutral field tomorrow. We got Georgia minus one and a half against Ohio State. So there is essentially no gap between the top three. Here's where things have changed. Georgia minus four and a half against Tennessee on a neutral field. That's not a big gap at all. So remember, there was a time a few weeks ago where we thought there was a double-digit point gap between three and then the rest of the field. That has evaporated. Furthermore, we would have Georgia minus seven on a neutral field against Michigan. So all of a sudden, we don't have a tier one. Well, at least we don't have a tier one with only three teams. We got a bunch of teams. You see why I'm starting to say I think multiple teams could actually win the national title this year as opposed to just make the playoff. That's why. So we've got, obviously, a couple of top 10 showdowns in the playoff rankings. We got Georgia versus Tennessee this week. So you are sure that a top three team will lose. I'm talking about the playoff ratings for a second. And you've also got Bama versus LSU. That's, I think, six against 10. So you're guaranteed to have at least two top 10 teams lose this week in your playoff rankings. As for our power ratings, what would we have? We'd have one versus four and we would have Bama at number two, and we had LSU at 12. So we got one versus four and two versus 12. Comments are wide open. Speaking of the Alabama Crimson Tide, let me take a sip here. I um, never thought I would live to see the day where the Bama LSU game featured two top 10 teams, and it got overshadowed in the SEC, but yet, here we are. Look at the SEC East flexing its muscle. Bama versus LSU, Saturday, 7 Eastern kickoff on ESPN because Georgia and Tennessee got the A-list window in CBS 330. LSU gets a night game against Bama. Death Valley at night. What more could you want if you're an LSU fan? I would advise you, don't go back and look at historical trends here. Forget about the series history. It will only make you furious. So just worry about the here and now. I got a little blind resume test for you guys. I should have had it made graphically, but whatever. I got two quarterbacks playing in this game. We got Jaden Daniels. We got Bryce Young. One of them has passed for 292 yards a game. The other has passed for 291.9 yards per game. One of them has thrown for, one of them has accumulated 21 touchdowns. The other one has accumulated 21 touchdowns. One of them has turned the ball over twice this year. One of them has turned the ball over three times this year. I did not say totals there. I said averages per game. 
they're nearly identical, at least in those stat categories. If anything, uh, it looks like Jaden Daniels has about a 0.1 yard per game edge. So congratulations to the quarterback there at LSU. Point being, numbers can lie to you because Bryce Young is solidly the better quarterback in this game. But we do not have chopped liver on the other side with which to chalk this up as an easy win for Alabama. So the line on the game it right now is 13. Bama minus 13. Is there a path to an upset? Yeah, Bama's playing on the road. There is absolutely a path to an upset. They could play Shaw High School in Columbus, and there would be a path to an upset. Because Bama's not Bama on the road anymore. I will continue to say that until they prove me otherwise. Look at that place. It's not an easy place to play. LSU has had three games this year with a 100-yard rusher. This is the whole game Saturday. Forget about the rest of the... Don't forget about it. I want you to watch it. But I'm telling you the most important stat category Saturday is LSU running the football. They have not been good doing it this year. They've had three games where they've had a 100-yard rusher. Two of the three were Jaden Daniels at quarterback. So they have not had anything close to what they need at the running back position. And if you have any hope for LSU pulling this upset off, absent some crazy turnover game, what are we thinking about? We're thinking about the struggles Bama had at Tennessee. Why did Bama struggle at Tennessee? Home crowd, which LSU will have, and Tennessee running the ball to set up mismatches out wide on the perimeter. Can LSU do that? Because you can't have one without the other. So I strongly question whether LSU can run the ball and put themselves in favorable matchup situations enough. The second part is, for some of the names on this LSU roster at wide receiver, the production hasn't been there. So if we have a Jalen Hyatt performance in the wings, it's going to surprise everyone. Not saying it can't happen. I'm saying it's going to surprise everyone if it does happen. The other thing that that creates in terms of a problem is LSU has allowed 26 sacks this year. And that is second worst in the SEC. And you go back to that Tennessee game. It's a familiar theme. Alabama's pass rush was non-existent in that Tennessee game. Why was that? It was because of the versatility and then success in the passing game that Tennessee was able to have. Quick strikes, too, in the pass game. But also, it wasn't just a bunch of slants. Tennessee ended up somehow, some way, convincing Bama to drop Dallas Turner into coverage. You had Will Anderson occasionally dropped into coverage. And the reason you can do that is because they're terrified of what you can do through the air and they're adjusting defensively accordingly. I don't necessarily expect to see 15 dropping in pass coverage a lot Saturday night, only because I don't know that LSU can get them into that look. I don't know that LSU can convince them that they have to worry about the same things that Tennessee convinced them they had to worry about. And because of that, I think Alabama's pass rush, and this is a crazy concept, but follow me here, is going to be concentrated on rushing the passer. What a, what a pin drop that is. And almost rolled off the table. If that's the case, uh, Jaden Daniels will be under duress all night. Now, there have been times in the past where you've seen Nick Saban defensive teams face mobile quarterbacks, and they don't pin their ears back. They do more like that mush-rush concept, and they want to keep a guy in the pocket because they're basically telegraphing to him, we don't think you can beat us with your arm, and eventually we'll get home, but we're not rushing up the field past you, and we're not letting you outside the pocket as much as we can. We'll see how they go about things Saturday night. Field position, integral in any football game, is 
probably something that LSU needs to flip the script on here. And again, if you, if you hear me talking a lot about what LSU needs to do, it's because in these games with bigger point spreads, that's how we do the preview. What would have to happen for the upset to occur? LSU's average starting field position this year, their own 28-yard line, that's 105th in the nation. Point blank, they need that to change Saturday. Even if it's just a one-off, they need to have that be different. They, they need to force some turnovers. They need to have that flip. And you need to look at the end of the night and say, wow, look at that. Their average was the 28. Boy, they started on like the 40-yard line on average tonight. How did they do that? Doesn't matter how they did it. They just need to be able to do it. Can you consistently drive the field otherwise on Bama? I don't think they can. Hey, fun stat here. If you're, if you're an Alabama fan, how do you think your defense has played this year? Jeopardy, Jeopardy music in the background, give you some time. Do you know that Bama, counting the Tennessee game, Bama has allowed the sixth fewest defensive touchdowns in America this year. 15 of them total. Tennessee's got seven out of the 15, by the way. Is that how you feel about your defense? Do you think that they're one of the six best in the country right now? I don't think many of you do. Numbers can do funny things to you. Or maybe you're holding your team to the standard of past Bama teams instead of looking around the rest of the country and thinking, wow, there aren't really many elite units out there, are there? Let's take a look at what the model thinks, and let's talk about what Vegas thinks. The Vegas line right here is Bama minus 13, and the model is right in line, actually. We've got Bama minus 12. Here's what I think. I think that there is obviously the elephant in the room, pun intended, being the Tennessee game that is baked into what our model thinks and quite frankly what the Vegas number is too. I think it's a bad matchup night for LSU. I just don't like it at all. I think Alabama's going to win. I think Bama's going to cover. And I don't even think they'll be without some of their usual self-inflicted wounds on the road. I don't think they'll play a clean game. It, I think at this point, it's foolish to expect that from Alabama. They've shown you they struggle with that too many times. I'm counting that in. And I still think, I, I know there's going to be a lot of noise made about this is the time that, that LSU's going to trip them up. Brian Kelly, year one. I got full confidence in Brian Kelly. I don't think it's happening in year one. I'm taking Bama to win. I think they win by over two touchdowns. I hope I haven't been unclear in how I think that game's going to go. Um, I want to do a couple of things. I know I'm looking at the live chat because someone said something interesting. But I want to do a couple of things here. So earlier today, I opened up the inbox. Or, well, I guess I asked for questions. It's a kind of a figurative inbox. And we got a couple of them I want to hit here. So let's tee up the one about Cristobal first. John asked, what's a true time frame for Mario Cristobal to get it right in Miami? Next year? Year two? That's college football today. Year two. So you've heard me talk about my thoughts on where they are right now. You've heard me talk about my thoughts on a rebuild. I'm not saying it's a finished product in year two. But there are too many examples already, even in the, the early age of the transfer portal and NIL, to where guys are radically turning around programs. Josh Heupel, the most glaring example right now, in year two of their tenure, that I expect Mario Cristobal to have a competitive product on the field next year for Miami. I think it's going to be a wild winter and spring. I think a massive chunk of their roster is going to turn over but I think they'll be competitive next year. I don't have doubt about this. I really don't. And I'm talking about some of their coaching staff too. I don't think the coaches are immune. He's going to get it right. They're not going to win a national title next year, or at least that's not my prediction. I think they'll be competitive. 
in virtually every game they play, or I will expect them to be next year. That's not too high a level of expectation. Now, having said that, I also think that it's very, very important to understand there are kind of levels to that. There are kind of layers to that. A roster is not a program. So what he can do this time next year just with his roster, that's, that affects next year and next year alone. But to build a program, you're talking about pillars. You're talking about principles and values and concepts that arch well over just the year 2023. And for that to happen, you need to allow a few years. Now, you can be ahead of schedule on the field. Josh Heupel was talking about it when we were up there and they beat Alabama a couple of weeks ago. What did he talk about in his postgame press conference? He said, we're celebrating. I'm about to die from smoke inhalation from all the cigar smoke, but it's great that we won tonight. We're only kind of starting our process. We're only kind of just, just getting into what we want to do. Now, a simpleton could sit at home and say, how could you say that? You're at the pinnacle of the sport. You just beat Alabama. They did. Yeah, they did. And if they played the game tomorrow, Bama may win 41 to 23. Would that prove they're not back all of a sudden, whereas they were back the day before? No. The point is a lot of crazy stuff can happen over one four-quarter football game, but winning a big game does not prove that you're a finished product. And Josh Heupel knows that. So he was talking about it that night. If Miami goes 10-2 and next year, 11-1, and if they, if they play for the ACC championship, if they win the thing, if they knock on the door of the playoff, that doesn't mean they're a finished product. So John asked the question of how long until he has them back. Well, it really depends on how you define back. Just being competitive, is that back? If so, the answer is next year, or at least it should be. If you're talking about a fortified, forced-to-be-reckoned-with football program, it's a couple of years away, minimum. And that's if you ever get there. Uh, but I do think that a lot of this year is going to be badly misleading as to how soon it can happen. But you don't just, you, you don't have to look very far, guys. I mean, think about, I keep going back to Tennessee because they're such a good example. Think back to how big a disaster that program felt like it was when Pruitt was fired unceremoniously and Heupel comes in and he came in late too. They didn't hire him in, in December or January. That was a late firing. So if anything, he started behind the eight ball. I talked to him about it at SEC media days and he said, we were drinking water from a fire hose in year one. And yet here they are in year two and they're number one in the country tonight. So, I mean, the 2022 schedule is what it is for Miami right now. They've got four left. They're a seven and a half point dog against Florida State Saturday night. They still got to go to Clemson. They still got Pitt. So it is what it is this year for them. It would be nice for them to make a bowl, win two games and make a bowl. That'd be nice. Get some extra practices. Uh, next up, this is a conversation Cristobal's not going to be a part of. <laughs> That's great. Bradley Yu hit me up and said, love the show. Now that Harson is out, whose seat is the hottest in college football? Neil Brown at West Virginia, I think is the answer here. Uh, full disclosure, I don't enjoy doing these segments. We rarely do them. Mainly, it's just when you ask about them. Things have gone awry at West Virginia this year. Most recently, I think they got blown out last game they played. It just hasn't gone according to plan. And there were a lot of people willing to give benefit of the doubt. But and even if the losses are close, that's one thing. But it just seems like the program's trending in the wrong direction. So there's a lot of smoke up there that there will be a move made at the end of the year on Neil Brown. Now, that's the only one really, as I look around the country, at the major Power Five level that I think is more likely than not. 
but there are several names coming up next year that if their jobs aren't on the line, it is very much a show me year. And you know what? I said Mario's not a part of this. There will be a need for him to show radical improvement next year at Miami. So not a hot seat thing per se, but a need to show radical improvement. What about Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M? For as much as I've told you that talk this year is nonsense, and it is, what's the expectation next year? A lot of that is going to be directly tied to what moves he makes after this year. So what does the coaching staff look like? What's the dynamic? Is he still calling plays, et cetera? But there will be, rightly so, massive amounts of pressure on him next year. And while I'm not automatically saying the guy's starting the season on the hot seat, unlike this year, it's not out of the realm of possibility for that to enter the equation next year. Even as wild as that buyout would be, that is Texas A&M. They can spend money because they would print more of it tomorrow. Yes, that's, that's potentially on the table for him next year. Steve Sarkeesian at Texas entering year three. We don't know how this year is going to end yet, but if they don't, if they don't end up playing for the Big 12 championship this year, they're getting ever closer to moving to the SEC. You need to take advantage of these years while you can. And so if, if, if they continue to trend the direction that they're going right now, they're 5-3. and three. They're already a three-loss team this year. They've got games left. It's the Big 12. They've got several games left that are tough to win. This time next year, you could have some of that talk around him. Not out of the realm of possibility at all. What about Mel Tucker? Look at Michigan State right now. I mean, they're spending a ton of money on Mel Tucker, and they, they can't run the ball. Uh, they have some of the same problems this year, compounded, that they had last year, and they don't have those star players to bail them out like Kenneth Walker. That's not what you're paying $9.5 million a year for. Now, the follow-up is, okay, well, how long do you let it go? And each program has their own standard. But I'm just saying, that's not in the conversation this year. Even though they're 3-5, and five, that's not in the conversation this year. It's next year where it would start. So whether it's Mario, Jimbo, Sark, Mel Tucker, Brent Venables at, at Oklahoma, it's nonsense to talk about that this year. Next year, if they are appearing to fall off a cliff the first couple of months of the season again, you could have talk around him. So I think 2023 will be an incredible year if you love to traffic in this stuff. The 2022 year, I just think we're going to get to the end of it. And a lot of guys are going to know, okay, I've burned up a lot of my equity. I got to show them something next year. Here's the downside, unless you're sadistic. The downside is not everybody's going to be able to follow through next year with a good campaign. So these are high profile names I just read to you. Someone's getting the ax next year. I mean, I see no way around that. And so buckle up because you got a very, very volatile what would that be? About a 18 to 24 month period coming up in our sport. All right, I've got several best bets to add, several of them. One of them is, is in play right now. Uh, you need to make sure that you're following me at Late Kick Josh, Twitter and Instagram. This is the time of year where I put a lot of plays out on social media because we've got the MAC games happening in the middle of the week. And the model's always done really good on MACTION. So, Ohio right now, for example, you know, let me, let me tell you. I put Ohio up today at plus three. Ohio's leading 24 to three right now. We are good betting the Mac. So Return of the Mac is our favorite song around here. We love it because it is the time where we make money. I cannot in strong enough terms encourage you, 
Make sure you get these numbers when we put them out this week. I'm going to have over 10 best bets this week. The model is lit up like a Christmas tree. We're waiting on line moves. Here are the games we're on. So we're already on Texas Tech plus 10. We got that number two nights ago. That's dropped. Still like it at 9.5, but we want 10. Ohio plus 3, I just told you. Western Michigan plays tomorrow night, plus 4.5. Mac, Mac, Mac. We like Nebraska, plus 16 against P.J. Fleck and Minnesota. We like Virginia Tech laying three points against Georgia Tech. We like Oregon State going on the road to Washington, getting three and a half. Now, those are six games. One of them looking pretty good for us right now already. I may double that by either the Thursday show or Friday Night Lines, which will be live from Athens, Georgia. Make sure you're following on Instagram, at Late Kick Josh. Every week, without fail, I get done with the broadcast, and my DMs are full of people saying, hey, can you send me the pics? That ain't the way it works. At Late Kick Josh. Now, I may leave the video up for a little while this weekend. I learned a lesson on that, so make sure you're following there. Uh, also, we're sitting at 987 on the likes on this video. We got over 4,000 people watching. Just hit the thumbs up button. The show's free. That's how we keep it free. I keep telling you guys that. That's how we keep the show free. So subscribing to the channel, subscribing to the podcast. If you haven't already, I know you guys are listening. I see our numbers. Just subscribe or follow, I guess you would call it in podcast world, while you're there. And make sure you like the video here and subscribe on the YouTube channel. When we get to 150K, when we get to 150,000 subs, we're doing something really special. And I don't even know what it is yet because you're going to come up with it. But I know it's going to be fun because I know our audience. we got a big Thursday show coming up mailbag will be open. Make sure you get those questions in. Until then, for producer Jesse, for director Colin, I'm Josh Bate. Have a great evening. Take care and God bless. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.